0: The restaurant is inspired by the hit TV show and features a menu approved by the Michelin star celebrity chef, Gordon Ramsay himself. Hope to see you all at Harris Resort SoCal in 2024.
1: Hello, friends. My name is Pauline Nguyen. Coming to you all the way from Australia. I'm known as the spiritual entrepreneur. I'm known as co-owning Red Lantern, the most awarded Vietnamese restaurant in the world. I play the role of mother of two. Mia is 18, Jethro is 13. I play the role of an international speaker. I play the role of an author. I play the role of coach, mentor, teacher, and um, sometimes I play the role of CEO in multiple businesses.
0: Welcome to The Vietnamese. I'm your host, Kenneth Nguyen. Being part of a culture of nearly 100 million Vietnamese people in the world today, comes with a lot of pain, proud history and privilege. Join me as I highlight and explore the Vietnamese experience from all over the world. What does it mean to be Vietnamese to you nowadays?
1: Oh, I love this question. I wrote a book in 2007 I won debut writer of the year for it and it it became an international bestseller it's called secrets of the red lantern and i write in the first chapters what it means to be vietnamese come on we're Mm. talking about courage um these days i speak of calm courage we're talking about resilient people but this sense of being having resonating resilience and then of course grit but it has to be tacit grit this unspoken grit when you're talking about the vietnamese people you're talking about a people who many countries have tried to dominate and take over right we're talking what the japs the mongols the french even the almighty americans couldn't defeat the little people in black pajamas running in and out of the rice paddy fields, right? We're freaking ninjas. And so for me nowadays to answer your question, uh, to be Vietnamese is to, or shall I say an evolved Vietnamese, um, is to have this incredible sense of determination, calm, courage, resonating, resilience, and tacit grit in all that we do.
0: Wonderful. Can you tell me about your family's journey from Vietnam to Australia?
1: You know, I, I don't think that it's a unique experience. Um, we were one of the first to escape Vietnam. Um, I, I, I am otherwise also known as a boat person, as many of us are. Um, we spent nine days out at sea. I was three years old at the time. My brother Lewis was two. We ended up in Thailand in the um, Deang refugee camp, we stayed there for a year, my brother Luke was born in the refugee camp where he was born in the lean to tent. Uh, many of you may know um, he's a, a world famous chef, he was born in the refugee camp and we came to Australia with like so many with, with nothing and growing up which is also very much a part of my story is that my father suffered terribly from ptsd but we didn't know we couldn't we didn't define it as that at the time so growing up was incredibly uh, violent um, lots of um, emotional spiritual physical mental abuse and so through that journey we also um, worked in my father's businesses he was also the serial entrepreneur we had a video library, an ice cream parlor, a cafe, a restaurant, um, as well as a driving school on the side, and us kids provided the child labor. So I started working full time at a very young age. I started working full time from the age of seven. And like many um vets uh, who immigrated to a new country um, we, we also had to get uh, top grades right or else a, a firm beating ensued so that was pretty much my life uh, i look back on it now and i see it all as my training right
0: yeah now your father and the trauma that you endured how did you figure out how to kind of get out from under that
1: i ran away from home
0: how- I, I ran away
1: I ran. I um, I finished my HSC, so in Australia, that's equivalent to what 16, 17 during those years, and I ran away, and I spent many years hiding from my father. I just, you know, I was. I grew up the most miserable kid in school, and I realised that um, I can't live like this. This cannot be my life, and so I mustered all the courage a young teenage girl could muster, and I ran away from home, and. Um, my father and his men uh, looked for me for many years. I I think I was away for about a good five years before uh, we reconciled. So I put myself through university and um, I worked in some of the finest restaurants uh, under the tutelage of some of the finest chefs and sommeliers in Sydney. So I worked my ass off to get to put myself through university.
0: During those five years, did you keep in touch with your brother your mother, any family members?
1: I kept in touch with my brothers they they helped me they helped me with my escape um, and I didn't contact my mother until several years later because um, she begged me to and so it was a clandestine relationship until um, I reconciled with my dad
0: and now, how is it? Has he gotten help? Has he gotten better?
1: The book Secrets of the Red Lantern had played a major role in our reconciliation. My father read it, and he had two choices. He could reject it, or he could learn from it. And so to look back on that journey, I mean, I was receiving letters from people all around the world after the launch of that book, Um, from Vietnam vets who read the story and thought my father a hero, from um, children of from abused families, um, wives who were also abused, and surprisingly, which was so profound for me, surprisingly, so many letters from all around the world from the children of survivors of the Holocaust, Um, same story, different war. And so it was such a profound journey, which very much changed the trajectory of my life. And my father read it, and we reconciled after that. He never gave an apology, but he did give a lot of acknowledgement. And he said that there's a right time and a right place for everything. And had he read the book some 10 years ago, he probably would have exploded and and beaten the crap out of all of us. But it was the right time. The universe um, has this beautiful way of um, handing to us that, which it knows that we can handle at any given point in time. And so how how is it now? We're all friends. We pay him out all the time. I don't don't know if you guys have that um, term or phrase in the US, pay him out. No, As in uh, poking, poking, uh, making fun of, joking with our parents all the time. And so we have a, uh, a friendship relationship now. Um, we all like to drink and we all like to eat and we all like to party. So it's um, very amicable.
0: Do you ever revisit those dark times with him to kind of process or synthesize the events that happen in your youth?
1: I I don't believe in um, revisiting traumatic experiences, Uh, there is trauma, trauma is the body's reaction, the body's memory to a traumatic event, and so I have no need to revisit the traumatic events. I'm a very different person now. A lot of us suffer because we feel the need to revisit traumatic events. Um, In my work as a coach, as a healer, as a spiritual teacher, we don't revisit. What for? There have been so many different life experiences and so many lenses to revisit is now revisiting from a very different level of mind. And so we don't revisit the traumatic event if we have healed the trauma, the trauma being the body's response, the body's reaction, the terrain in which holds the memory. And so when we can revisit a traumatic event, or to call it a past event, with the emotion, then it's called memory, then it's still called a traumatic event. But when we can revisit the event without the emotion, and come from a place of healing a place of neutrality, then it's called evolution. And so how do we know we have healed when we can have the opposite response, the opposite reaction to it, whatever still triggers us, we still need to heal, you see. And so if we can go back to the traumatic event and say the opposite of, man, I used to be really angry. I'm not angry anymore. I used to be really sad. I'm not sad anymore. I used to be very frustrated, not frustrated anymore. Then you know that you have healed.
0: Where did you learn that from? Because I can imagine that paradigm is not an overnight understanding. It's not, it feels like another evolution of somebody who's gone through trauma to kind of understand that paradigm. Where did you pick that up and how did it occur for you?
1: It all starts with a decision, Ken, the decision that I don't want to be this person, um, I don't want to hold on to the victim narrative. But that, unfortunately, is what so many people do, yeah. right? Because it gives them this huge amount of significance. Who am I if I don't have these memories? Who am I if I'm not this angry person? Who am I if I don't have this dis-ease and disease? And so to revisit gives a lot of people that sense of significance. You know, the ones who always remind you of how hard their life is? That is low vibration. That's what's going to make you sick. So it starts with the decision, the decision to say, I don't want to be this person. We're here on this earth to do three things. First is to evolve. Second is to push humanity forward. And third is to do it with joy, to evolve, to push humanity forward Mm. and to do it with joy. And so the decision to say, I don't want to be this person. I'm tired of this person. I'm going to take these glasses off and put on a new lens. But who do I need in my orbit? to help me to get to where I want to go faster. And so I went in search of teachers. I went in search of lessons. I went in search of uh, philosophies and movements and basically ingest, and I still do ingest knowledge, ingest information because my decision to practice self-leadership and self-mastery because our job here is to evolve. And so where did I get it from? First the decision, and then from a plethora of teachers and um and coaches and spiritual teachers as well
0: and who are some of the early inspiration uh, whether it's books or people that lived or didn't live at the time who are some of your inspirations as you're changing into this different person
1: Uh, most of them are real life real life teachers and real life shamans Um, i'm i the work that i do is always science and spirituality and so which is why i teach and practice spiritual entrepreneurship. It's not spiritual hippie (laughs) or or we don't uh, play in the woo. Um, It's a little bit woo, but we certainly don't play in the voodoo. It is very much science and spirituality because I believe that science is what bridges cultures. Um, In order to assist anyone who, who is ready to be assisted to give them some sense of science backing always makes them feel a little bit more assured when they're new to this work and then when they're in the orbit we understand that there's a whole lot of space-time magic that happens as well and so to understand first in my work there's always the semantic the approach where we have to have had some sort of theory training Uh, my training is in uh, nlp and uh, meta nlp uh, as well as the somatic how the um, biology works how the body works and so we do the somatic work Um, is the emotion is the trauma stuck in parts of your organ do you need to change your breath technique so that you can become more alkaline and less acidic Do you need to practice jigong to move the energy centers? Do you need to practice yoga so that you have mastery over self? Do you need to practice meditation and activation? And then we, of course, do the somatic, which is where the shamanic work comes in, the energy medicine. And so my work is a combination of the somatic, the theory that I've spent many, many years learning, and then, of course, the somatic of the body. And then the somatic, and when we combine the semantic, the somatic and the soulmatic, we get results very, very fast because semantics alone, talk therapy alone takes too long and it does not work. Talk therapy makes you revisit the traumatic event. Whereas semantic coupled with somatic work deals with the trauma, how it appears on your body. Are you tired of feeling that way? Let's do some things to change that. And then, of course, the somatic, um accessing assistance from other dimensions other than this 3D dimension, this, this third dimension,
0: you, excuse you, me, I,
1: this third dimension that we live in.
0: I'm going to have to unpack a lot here because obviously, you know, I prepare for, you know, Red Lantern and the story of how you got into that world. But why don't we jump right into the NLP, the meta NLP, because that's what's coming up right now, if you don't mind.
1: I, I'm, I-, I can do whatever you want, Ken. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> okay, so Go I- in with the flow, baby.
0: <laughs> I know a little bit about NLP. But um, if you can explain what NLP is, and then what difference is meta ML- NLP, because this is the first time I've heard of meta NLP.
1: Okay, so NLP is neuro-linguistic programming. It is a, um, a psychological approach. Uh, it is about human behavior. And um, how can I put it in simple terms? We become language surgeons. It uh, The... Co-founders are uh, John Grinder and, and Richard Bandler. Uh, John Grinder's brother, Michael Grinder, is a mentor of mine and a collaborator of mine. We work in uh, non-verbal communication. I um, am an international speaker. I uh, belong to an agency called Ode, who represent the top 15 non-celebrity speakers in the world. So a lot of my work is very much about the non-verbals on stage. You know, to be to to speak. Um, with palms up, it changes our tonality, changes our voice versus speaking with the palm down, with pauses, tonality. And so the um, the, the work that we do is not only the linguistic work, but also the um, non, non-verbals. And so it is, uh, we become language surgeons. I love how we can also reframe, continue to reframe in the work of NLP so that it is never too late To have had a happy childhood, (laughs) I like I like to um, explain NLP like that, so that it's never too late to have had a happy childhood, and so it relates to your thoughts, it relates to the language, it relates to the patterns of behavior, and so as a NLP coach, we look for patterns and we look for um, reframes of experiences, so that it become it can have a very specific outcome, and so to have to have um learned meta nlp is meta is on top of or around so the meta on the meta if that is your pattern what is on top of and what is around and so it is the more perspectives that we can hold the more free we will become and now this is a lot of ken wilbur's work as well with integral semantics integral um theory and that that is in a nutshell uh do you still live So I'm a developmental coach. I coach people to the next stage of their development. Um, The sad truth is some people reach their 60s and 70s still at the conventional stage of development do you want to move on so that you can become um, more of a post-conventional or post -post post-conventional stage where you can see things from multiple perspectives and then we come with it with a transcendent mind a transcendental mind does not just see one perspective we open our aperture to see multiple perspectives the more perspectives we can see the more free we will become and so for example a first person perspective from a very immature stage of development it's all about me 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 what's in it for me and they speak a lot from i i i i or you can move to the second person perspective okay now it's about you and me how do how do my um uh, actions affect you and how do you and how does this re, re, re affect one another in a relationship way or we can get a third person perspective where we see everything almost like a laboratory. We see our business like a laboratory. We see a, um, a situation or a circumstances. What would happen if we did that? What would happen if we changed the way we did things? And so everything is from a third level of mind, seeing it from a third level of mind. A fourth person perspective will see systems. That's how the system works. How what, what role are you going to play in that system uh, that's how her system works and then we when can we see it from a fourth person perspective, we understand that there's now a whole lot of compassion compassion comes online, they are like that because that's how the system works. Um, that is how the school system works. How then can we play that? Vers- and so there's no, there's, there's very little rise you see. We look at things from a systematic approach. And then there's the fifth person perspective, which is from a spirit centric perspective, hmm. where you can see all four perspectives, but preference none of them. And so um, coaching in, in this respect is not therapy. We only coach those who are of sound mind. Um, I, I have to make that clear. And so it's, um, uh, we, could, we could say uh, we coach individuals who are very ready to walk down the long hall of mirrors and not everyone is ready to do that, right? Yes. Because they still come from a victim frame of mind.
0: And that's what I was gonna ask next. Um, you, you clarified it at right, the, the last uh, few uh, statements there. Because I keep, my mind goes, goes back to, if you have somebody in front of you, a client, that is slow to kind of form into the coaching or slow to sort of shift into this different mindset that you're talking about, these different levels. You know, is there some sort of cognitive ability that every person comes with that might be uncoachable? or yes. And do you run into that? And what are the major reasons why there's these blockages for them?
1: So there's, in my experience, there's two types of coaches and two types of coaches or or mentees. Let's, let's, let's put it this way. Skepticism is a personality trait. Cynicism is a coping mechanism. And so I don't really have a problem with skeptics because so much of my work is science-backed and I have an abundance of testimonials from um, students and clients I've had over the years whose lives have been changed through this work. So I don't have a problem with skepticism. Um, Skepticism also comes with curiosity. It's cynicism that I don't associate with. I also am not for everyone, and I um, make that point very, very clear. So I filter my clients from the get-go. Once they come to my work, and I'm I'm not mainstream either because um, my DNA is not for mainstream, Um, once they come in or, 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 or make contact, they have to fill in a questionnaire and then I, I read through the answers and I see if they still have victim dialogue, the victim narrative, um, because there's the type of coachees and mentees who like to be seen or like to be known as having a coach. Oh, Pauline's my coach. Oh, there's my coach. But if they don't put in the work and they don't put in the practice, they, there is no execution and then there are those who actually execute. And so I always say, if you do the work, you will get the pay. And when you get the pay, you get to play a very different game of life. If you don't do the work, you don't get the play, the play. The pay. I I am not your healer. I teach you how to heal yourself. And so um, Ken, I'm very discerning. With who I work with, because I protect my energy, I protect my vibration, and I only want to work with those who are a pleasure. And if it's not a pleasure, I am the first to refund the money, I'm the first to cut ties, because my life and my energy depends upon it. Um, I would rather give my energy and my um, expertise to those who are ready and willing and we get to play together rather than being uh, a case where I'm pushing shit uphill. I have no desire to change someone's mind. Um, if your mind is, is you know, I've, I've, I've sacked um, probably three clients um, in my lifetime and, um, those who are still at a very young developmental age or a very young soul age and they're just not ready. And also there have been those who I have said, it's not a coach that you want, it's therapy that you're after. Wow, um, I am not a therapist. So does that answer your question? It, Did it, that it, answer both your questions to it, to, to break down uh, meta um, NLP in a very um, I guess fundamental way as well as how I very, work? Uh,
0: It's very clear. Um, you can't really work with somebody who's not ready. And that was my real, my real question is, does this change people? These techniques change people, but I think you have to, what you answered, you have to be ready. You have to be at the point in your life and your soul's journey to get to the point uh, of, of being able to open and execute at a higher level.
1: And then of course, it also comes down to, uh, your personality type, your personality trait. Um, I, I was on a, um, a discovery call with a, um, she was an anesthetist recently and she's a particular, what we call them type two personalities on the Enneagram. And, um, uh, you know, she wanted to change and wanted to get out of her own way, but she was so much pride. Um, type two enneagrams are, are driven by this sense of pride. And so just to hold one mirror was like damaged her pride. And I said, I don't think you're ready to get mm. out of your own way. And and this journey is going to be very difficult for both of us. And so um, I'm not for you. This is not going to be a good fit. I wish you well.
0: Yeah, that makes sense.
1: I have every right to do that.
0: Yeah. What was your career trajectory when you were growing up, when you were coming out of university, when you were developing into your own? What did you want to do?
1: I actually um, did really well in my HSC, uh, which is equivalent to your SATs. It was literally beaten into me by my father. Um, And I... um, completed a bachelor of arts in communications degree at university majoring in uh, film and television um, journalism so that's what i did and then uh, graduating i lived in paris london for five years i worked in the third largest post-production company in europe and then came back and worked in film and television in australia uh, in the year 2000 and um I started freelancing, but it was during that time where I really recognised that I can't have a boss. Um, I I I I could only be my own boss, and so um, it was beautiful timing when my brother Luke said that he wanted to open uh, a restaurant. And um, he's a very, very capable, capable man. And it was at that time that I said, look, I've just come back to Australia. Um, I I know a chef and I'd love to assist you with opening your restaurant. And his dream was always to up-level the community society's view of Vietnamese cuisine and Vietnamese culture. In those years, it was still very oriented around um, gangsters, immigrants. Um, It was still very much about uh, uh, home cooking, kitsch family restaurants with, you know, kitsch decor for mica tables, really home-style cooking. And we really wanted to up-level that with uh, professional service Um, a good wine list, matching wines and um, experienced and qualified um, chef and kitchen. And so I assisted him with that with the intention of um, going back and starting my, um, I guess, film producing career uh, after finishing after having finished um, my stint with Red Lantern, but then I too was bitten by the business and entrepreneurial bug, and that was the beginning of our journey.
0: When, uh, when you started in the food arena, I'm wondering if it's the same or if it's similar to the U.S., where Vietnamese food at the time, even today, is not valued as you know Italian foods or uh, Japanese foods, although we put so much labor and energy into producing Vietnamese food. But oftentimes the price points are very, very different. They're lower. Um, and let's just call it what it is. It's Does that happen in Australia? Did it happen at the time? And did you have to deal with the pricing issue?
1: Well, we were the first. Red Lantern was the first to really take Asian cuisine to another level. and. <clears throat> Um, we did it in a way that was still very accessible um, and we were more expensive than the family-run Vietnamese restaurants. And those who still preferred the family-run Vietnamese restaurants would complain about how expensive Red Lantern was. You can get cheaper in Cabramatta You can get cheaper in Mayorkville. Like, yes, you can. But we're also paying for professional staff Um, top quality ingredients, a kick-ass wine list with sommelier, proper management, proper reservations, and so all those things come into consideration. And then it was um, trendy because we were, you know, cool and hip and happening, and then it became trendy and more and more um, Asian restaurants of that calibre came about. So for us, it was a natural evolution and, um, you know, the restaurant industry, we've just survived two lockdowns, which the whole experience was a shit show, but still we're we're here. Um, It's been 20 years now since we've been in business. Yeah, it's, it's, the the Sydney dining scene has evolved in a big way. So to answer your question, um, there are more and more restaurants that are um, that are top quality, expensive, and of course there are the the other um, levels as well.
0: So Vietnamese food and cuisine in in Australia doesn't really. It sounds like it's accepted that the price points can be higher. Correct. Yeah, in- Obviously,
1: where I live, right? I live, I live um, uh, in the city. I don't live in a highly populated Vietnamese right. area.
0: Right, right. And that makes a huge difference. Yeah. Because those comparisons, of, oftentimes it's from inside of our community saying that yes. why are they charging higher prices? But it's the total experience that we're looking at here.
1: Yeah, and also I think also their um, lack of knowledge or ignorance in some cases to uh, what it takes. Um, they don't understand about superannuation and taxes and yeah. um, uh, wage rates and rent and um, advisors and mentors and databases and uh, EDMs. They don't understand that there's so many factors as well as marketing and, and all of that, So and, and that's okay. That's yeah.
0: okay. How, how did you make the restaurants stand out in the early years against the competition?
1: See, here's the thing, Ken. We've never seen the top restaurants in Sydney as our competition. It's, it's very much how we operate in life because we are our biggest competition. We have to make our own rules. We have to run our own race. So why would I waste my valuable time and my valuable energy being bothered by and worrying about what the others mm-hmm. are doing? i know where i would rather place my valuable time and energy and that's on on this internal ecology here as well as the internal ecology of red lantern how can we um better ourselves so the competition is very much us and so the um the credo at red lantern has always been that it is and it's a movement it's a movement to uplift the human spirit through the alchemy of flavor, hospitality, and heart. And so when we understand that, it is a movement to uplift the human spirit through the alchemy of flavor, hospitality, and heart. We play a very different game. We are our biggest competition.
0: Yeah, clearly you play a different game. And I'm wondering again, where does that thinking, where did it originate from? Uh, You explained other other thoughts that you had, uh, your evolution of um, the, 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 the ideas that you had earlier, but within the construct of, of this restaurant and competing with your own selves, where does this come from? Because clearly, you know, a lot of people start restaurants, but aren't able to kind of tap into that voice of competing with yourself.
1: Where does it come from? It comes from the leaders. Where does it come from the leaders? because we are consistently doing the inner work, the internal arts of um, power and not force. It's a lot of what I teach. Um, forcing is worrying about what the other others are doing. Forcing is we're, we're not afraid of hard work, please don't under, please yeah. don't misunderstand that. We have more grit than anyone else we know. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here 20 years later in right. what is a very challenging, fickle and competitive industry. But we made a decision um, in the early years. We were working 80, 90, 100-hour weeks, week upon week, and we realised we're just repeating what our parents did. We have to... And it was a decision to not ever work, stop working hard, but we would work hard and work smart. And so things like... Um, Luke getting a television um, gig with SBS and he's now got television shows all around the world and and cookbooks and and Mark had a six-year stint on um, a local television station and I'm travelling the world speaking about the Red Lantern story and writing our books. And so that's called power, this internal power. Uh, And when I talk about power, I'm not talking about force. I'm talking about this spiritedness this unbounded, uh, unbridled energy that that uplifts our spirit, that expands our heart, that keeps us creating and staying in the game. And will will we be playing the Red Lantern game forever? I, I don't know. Whatever the next evolution is will be whatever the next evolution is. And then that, to understand it's also about um, influence. To move mountains with the gentleness of touch is what power is about. That's not force influencing ourselves influencing others influencing the quantum field it's all about influencing but playing a game that is not um uh, like everyone else we can't be like everyone else so where does it come from kenneth i i i can honestly say it's a genetic disposition um through how we lived how we had to live our lives as children and all the things we went through in those years Perhaps our life today, um, we use our life when we were growing up as an anti-model to how we do things very differently now.
0: So I'm imagining you're working 80, 90, 100 hours a week, and you're in the kitchen, you're working the front of the house, you work in the back of the house, just making sure this restaurant runs tip top. At what point do you start transitioning into the spiritual teaching mode?
1: So... It's difficult to tell you at what point it is the evolution of a human being, should they decide. It all starts with a decision. All starts with a decision to say there must be more to life than this. And so again, it's a genetic. The shamanism, spiritual teaching, it's a genetic disposition. I've, I've, I've I was born with it. I've, I've been shaman in many lifetimes. How do I know? Because I've done the lifetime regret the um, past life regression work. I've done a whole lot of theory around that. And so, whatever we are called to do, whatever we are called to do, just as um, you were doing something very different to what you're doing now, can, um, you're, you when you're pulled to do something no matter what, it is a calling. It is a calling that has been unlocked in you in this lifetime. And to be, you know, running this podcast with um, such a, purpose driven by such purpose is a calling for you and that takes a whole lot of courage it takes a whole lot of grit and guts and determination and consistency and persistence and the universe rewards the unreasonably determined it rewards us with more inspiration it rewards us with more energy more ideas it rewards us with this sense of magnetism and so the magnetism is attracting people in our orbit to make life more fun, to make life more inspiring, to help us to get to where we want to go faster. And so it opens more opportunities, which opens more questions and more curiosities. And so this is when I was speaking earlier about the more perspectives we can hold, the more free we can become. And so we have a transcendental mind that can transcend the situation, and that just comes with a whole lot of abundance, right, because now we can see so many different opportunities and and, and levels of mind are high level of mind
0: yes and and i'm hearing it and i'm hearing the sort of the modern kind of today pauline right the present moment pauline but i am i'm sure a lot of the people that listen are also wondering how do you go from you know somebody who's running a a kitchen and running a restaurant And shifting slowly into this sort of like this awareness, or did you have it kind of coming in? And I guess the question is, you know, have you did you ever have a a a moment, or has it just been gradually, you know, questioning, gradually questioning and finding answers? Yeah. So uh,
1: what what I'm hearing is you need a tangible timeline, Ken, (laughs) to make sense of it. Is that what I'm hearing? (laughs) Yes and no.
0: Yes yes and. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I just can't imagine you coming out of the universe as a as a 20-something-year-old person working in this restaurant for 80, 90 hours and head to the, gr- you know, nose to the grind and just working, working, working without this sort of like this. It's really like an it feels very ancient, the, the knowledge that you have that you're bringing to Mar- the present-day Pauline to me. But there has yeah. to be some evolution and I'm not looking for a timeline I'm just looking for triggers and you know I'm,
1: uh, I'm wondering I'm wondering if the timeline would be would be more helpful and so um we when I said before Luke, we were working 80, 90, 100 hour weeks and we were tired. I'd actually uh, developed alopecia, which is a condition where the hair falls out due to stress. Um, I was bald for a very long time um, and, you know, physical aches, pains, um, all our dreams, all our goals. We wanted to leave a legacy. We wanted to have a great life. And then you get caught in the in in, in the trap. You get caught in that um, uh, that sense of control no one can work harder than i can no one can do this like i can until it that didn't work for us anymore and, and, and so that was when we
0: that's what i'm talking about that alopecia mm-hmm. pauline right today is two different people so i'm yeah. trying to find sort of the continuum like how did you get from from that to to this, right? To sure. Yeah.
1: Sure. It was this. It was the decision that we. First of all, I didn't want to be angry anymore. Um, that was. That's what. That's one of the things that happens with trauma, right? It gets passed down to the next generation and the next generation. Um, I'm uh, at 32. I made the decision that it was time to have children, and um, I didn't want to be this angry. Um, I was in error detection mode, which is a, a prevalent human condition. It was what was passed down to me. It was what was um, downloaded onto me by my parents. I didn't know any better. And it was a decision. It all starts with the decision. I do not want to be this person for my child. And it started the, um, the very sacred journey of looking within. I refuse to be this person. Once the decision is made, then permission Permission to have teachers guide me down the long hall of mirrors. Permission to self to say, it's okay to not beat yourself up because you are this person. And from there, just this evolution of more learnings. Ah, is that how I've always done myself? This is not who I am. It's who I take myself to be. And so we do the... Work human behavior, psychological work. But it's not an easy journey. Many people can't do it to look at yourself and go, Fuck I'm this person. I don't want to be this person versus this is who I am. I'm gonna honor myself and I'm gonna and it's my way or the highway. We don't grow from that, and so a good check-in is always with our heart: is our heart contracting or is our heart expansive for this? And it 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 hasn't been a, 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 an easy journey. Ken, I was an amateur parent for many years until I became a professional parent, <laughs> a professional human being, and so. Um, from there, I, I wrote The Secrets of the Red Lantern. We, we chose to do things very differently. Um, Luke did his television book stuff. Mark did his television stuff. And I wrote Secrets of the Red Lantern, which is a very dark and personal memoir, which I disguised as a cookbook so people would buy it. Right. And it worked a treat. I won debut writer of the year. It, it, did, really, it did really well around the world. And from that, um, I was pushed onto the stage by my publishers, to speak about the book. I traveled the world with international writers festivals. And it was then that I'm on stage not showing up like a professional at all because I hadn't dealt with the demons of the past. Um, There were times when my body froze speaking about the past. Now we're talking about trauma, how the body reacts to talking about the past. I hadn't dealt with it, you see. And so I'm on stage in front of all these people or I'm at writers' festivals. When I get asked questions like you're asking, I couldn't answer them. That's trauma coming up, trauma coming up. And the decision to say, they don't deserve to see me like this. Come on. What are you going to do to be a better speaker? What are you going to do to be a better communicator? Anyone can speak. Can you communicate with impact, with power? And so began my journey to deal with my demons, Giving permission to teachers who could teach me, but with impact and power and fast, and giving myself permission to um, acquire the skills of stage mastery, of self-mastery, of self-leadership, and then more doors open. And so every time we ascend to a higher level of mind, to a higher level of thinking, there are always more masters waiting for us. And that that is the journey. So does that answer your question, Ken? Very cool. <laughs> very yeah the timeline worked <laughs> but i'm also of the belief that um the life we live are the lessons that we teach and so uh i have um students and clients all around the world whatever i learn i teach i learn i teach and so it keeps me on my toes and it keeps me continually evolving and they uh, and they come after me and so there have um, there are many students who've been with me for many, many years because as I evolve, they evolve as they evolve, I evolve.
0: Thank you for that. it's a uh, much needed because my brain works in sort of like I want to see the transitions.
1: I understand. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. So did you have a, um, an awakening or, you know, with the shaman uh, identity, did you kind of go through the world knowing this was there and all of a sudden you had a breakthrough, uh, some sort of event that happened? Or did you always know it and it just kind of developed as you, you just expanded this knowledge of yourself as the years gone went by?
1: A little bit of both ken um as a child i um i had you know they would call it gifts i guess but everyone has these gifts it it, shamanism is a way of life it's a way of being the shamanism that i teach is all about nature's medicine how can we access nature's medicine because we are nature we shut ourselves off to nature we think, oh, we have to go out into nature. But would you, or would you not, agree that we are nature? Hmm? For sure, we are nature, and and we've been. Um, I, I think that is the major cause of a lot of dis-ease and disease today. To forget that we are nature, and so the shamanism that I teach is about nature's medicine. It's about moving mountains with the gentleness of touch. It's about magnetism. It's about influence. It's about understanding how we can um, influence ourselves first before we can influence others, before we can start to influence the quantum field. The shamanism that I teach ultimately is about self-leadership and self-mastery. We do a lot of activation, shamanic activation through voice, through sound, and so... Um, may I ask you, Ken? Uh, do you love nature? Do you do you feel expansive when you are in nature?
0: One hundred percent. Yes.
1: And and what about um, sound? There are there some sounds and is there music? Is there vib- vibratory frequencies that give you a sense of calm and peace or inspiration or energy?
0: Yes. There's uh, composers that do that for me.
1: Well, then you have a shaman inside of you that mm. is waiting to be unleashed. And so it, 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 it is that that I teach. Um, it, it is not um, uh, what I know. Uh, a lot of society is uh, people are always afraid of what they don't understand, right? Uh, and so it is very much about uh, personal power, personal freedom through accessing nature's medicine, which is free. She is free. Mother Earth and Father Son have looked after us for so very, very long, and I speak through direct experience. I have a plethora of students and clients whose lives have changed through the work that I do and through the teachings that I give to them because they now have realized their own Power, and we are more powerful than we have been led to believe, and so um, nature is free and sound. Just you know, did did you know that when you want to calm yourself or calm another, the simple act of humming alone. Mm, your vagus nerve gives you an incredible sense of calm and with the cultivation of a practice or the cultivation of particular sequence of breath work we can access our intelligence and we're not robbed of our intelligence in times of stress or overwhelm or panic and so this is these are the 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 shamanistic practices that i teach so it's not um, polarizing it is about tapping into your own personal power which has yet to be unleashed and unlocked
0: now, this word shamanism uh, in the US, or as I have come to understand it growing up, uh, is linked to a lot of South uh, American sort of shamanistic traditions. Uh, the word ayahuasca comes up and um, these different formal codified practices exist in the world uh, specifically in South America. Do you practice a form of codified shamanism or is it something that uh, is your own self-prescribed form of it?
1: Um, I have been all around South America. Um, I traveled with my own shaman who is from South America. getting uploads and downloads, um, Peru, Patagonia, La Titicaca, um, Cusco. Um, we did ceremony in between Pachamama, Pachatata. So there is ceremony involved. Um, Machu Picchu was was very explain, profound.
0: Can you explain and the and ceremony? So, yeah, because yeah, I, 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 I it's a capital C so, ceremony here we're talking about.
1: Yeah. So let me just make the distinction between ceremony and ritual. So let's take the Buddhist tradition. We have the altar, we put fruit on there, we put food on there, we get down on our knees, we bow three times, we go to temple. There are particular ceremony, that is ceremony, that is um, the way things have always been. I have learned from many teachers around the world, um, as well as in Australia, one of my most powerful shamans um, teaches um, Aboriginal Indigenous shamanism as well. It's a way of life. It's a way of beingness. And so I think it's with everything. I believe, I don't think I believe, in this day and age where there is so much knowledge and so much um, information that is so accessible, I believe that it is our responsibility to take the ceremonies, to take from this teacher, to learn from this teacher and a continuous evolution to learn from the masters, right? I only learn from masters. I don't like to double. I want to get there fast. And we learn from the masters, but I think it's our responsibility to then take the fundamentals, craft it and put our own very unique signature on it. And that's how new things are created in the world. Because what's the point in me saying I only learn from this code and I'm going to carry that code forever and that code somewhere in you know the 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 um, remote towns in Lake Titicaca and now I'm going to teach it here? That's not even relevant. I live in Sydney, Australia. Right. My my clients are, are entrepreneurs. How can I take those fundamentals and craft it in a way so that I can meet my students, meet my clients where they're at? And so when we meet people where they're at, then we can start to uplift and up-level them. And just like this podcast, how many podcasts are there around the world? So many these days. But, Ken, you grab what you know about it and you craft your own unique way and it becomes now about the Vietnamese people. And so it's our responsibility to take that ceremony and turn it into ritual, ritual being. Now here's my flavour. I, 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 this is my own ritual now, and, and I'm going to take it and make it make sense for me, make it relevant for my people, make it relevant for my lifestyle. And then from that creation comes a very, very unique uh, flavor, which adds to the deliciousness of life. Would you not agree?
0: I completely agree very fresh way to see things and it reminds me of this it's also more
1: exciting ken it's less boring (laughs) it's more exciting
0: (laughs) it reminds me of this idea where the universe started if we if we take this theory of the big bang where it it just blew up and it's just constantly ever expanding and along with that sort of these ideas and these synthesis of uh, humans and energies just are completely growing constantly and coming together and breaking apart and coming together and it's just new things are creating and evolving as we are living and journeying through the universe.
1: Yes, it, it, <laughs> it yes. has to be. Yes. it has to be. You know, and and uh, we there there is a part of all of that inside each of us, right? If, if right. we if we are with the Big Bang theory.
0: And we are part um, of the, the, the stars, and we're part of the all of the particles that are ever expanding.
1: Yes, and uh, you know, and and we can talk about the the quantum field, the the field that exists, um, a field of energy and information that exists beyond beyond space and time. And um, I do a lot of work in the quantum in um, multi dimensionality. And if this concept is is very new to your listeners, um, I have but one strong suggestion and is that is to be open to the possibility <laughs> to open your aperture to the possibility and if this is only you want this is what you only want to see carry on that's okay too <laughs> no, no, that's- <laughs> we're we're not here to fix or, or change anyone we're only here to speak to those who are ready because just because you cannot see it it does not mean it is not real well i'm here just to stand. because I'm here yeah. to, <laughs> just I, because you don't believe it yet it doesn't mean it's not true right <laughs> so.
0: I'm I'm here to expand this idea uh because I think that this these ancient churches these ancient modalities of religion somehow is all related to this quantum business right uh, yeah. somehow our prayers and our mantras and all the things that we think and we you know whether what whatever form it comes in to from wherever it comes is all based on this idea of quantum. Now, can you explain it from your perspective, uh, what you're talking about?
1: Sure. And I'll break this down as, as simply as I can, because um, when we um, practice, when we heal, when we manifest from there, it's something that needs to be experienced. So that once we have direct experience of it and the direct results of it, then we know that it's true. Whereas, you know, many people need to see this stuff before they believe it. But for those who believe it, man, the stuff that we can see. (laughs) Mm. It's not to see it is to believe it, but when you believe it, you get to see more powerfully than ever before. Um, If I can please um, pre-frame this by saying that I am not a quantum physicist, nor am I a scientist. I speak only from direct experience. And so when you understand the fundamentals, it is that if this is how I recognize how I live my life, if this if i understand this and recognize that this is how i could live my life how can i now benefit from these understandings how can i now benefit from this powerful new world view and so that's just the possibility of of an a, a open door what if what if it was possible how differently would you start to live your life from this very different worldview? And so you don't need to be a, um, a math wizard or a, um, a, a physicist or a scientist to understand the principles of how quantum physics can transform the reality of your life. And so if you can understand that it is a unified field of information and of energy, so we have the lemon line. This, this, this lemon above the lemon, and then below the lemon. Above is the conscious consciousness, below the subconsciousness. So people call this subliminal. And then you've got above conscious. How do we access the subliminal? How do we access the subconscious? by going within, by going within. And this is when I I speak about the internal arts. In order to access the quantum field, we have to go within so that we can access the subliminal, below the limon line, below the conscious line. And so if you are unified with this consciousness, then the energy of everybody, the energy of everyone, everything, every place, every time within this vast unified field of all potentials, it's like... Um, it's like when in, in this world I am connected to um, my body, my hand, it's been made manifest. That's how easy you can be connected and attached to the thoughts and the ideas in the quantum field because whatever is thought about in the quantum, the thought sends a signal out. But you have to also understand the law of vibration, the law of frequency so that you can attract the thought to become a manifestation in this world. It already exists. You just need to make it become a reality. And so it's the potential of intentional observing the potential and understanding the laws so that it can become a quantum event. So when let me, let me give you this example. How many times have you experience, can people in your world or even yourself, when we, when we have a thought, the thought is already planted in the quantum field because you've got to go internal, right, in order to access it. So when we have a thought, it already exists as a potentiality. Now you've got to go, yeah, get off your ass. It's not about sitting there and going. You're gonna manifest this. It's now because what happens now? You've got to act now. The motion, the emotion, put it in motion. When you strive for it, that that thought now starts to become more and more of a reality. But when you have the thought and you do no thing, the law is that thought, whatever gets put into the quantum field must be made manifest. And so I call them the ideas fairies, right? The ideas fairies say, okay, there are there is this idea that has been put into the quantum field. It was put into the quantum field by Ken, but he's done no thing. He's done nothing to strive, right? Because if you strive for it, it folds space and time and it's yours, right? But Ken doesn't want to do anything about it. He's just thought of it, you know, whether it be life or um, he's too busy or it's too hard. And so the Ideas Fairies takes that opportunity and says, Hey, Joe, do you want this idea? Because the law is it's got to be made manifest. And Joe says, No, mate, it's too hard. I'm too busy. I got to, you know, raise money. I got to work more. I got to do that. The Ideas Fairies does not discriminate all right no problem and then the ideas fairies say hey jane there's this idea that has been put into the quantum field do you want it jane says hell yeah who do i need in my orbit to help me to get to where i want to go faster what do i need to do to feel the way i want to feel so that i can remain high vibration the higher your vibration when you tap in you do not experience fear, shame, guilt, which has the same vibration as death. The higher your vibration, the more magnetic you become. I teach a course called Magnetic as Fuck, right? And so we magnetize potentials. We magnetize people into our orbit to help us to get to where we want to go faster. And then Jane says, give the idea to me. And so Jane's across the other side of the world. She strove for this idea. She's got it into action. She's going, she's got off her ass. She's done all this things and now she has a whole posse behind her helping her to make this idea be made manifest and then ken on the other side of the world says she stole my idea (laughs) no she didn't (laughs) you just didn't act fast enough so the universe rewards the unreasonably determined and this is when we get really really excited about life because we understand then that we are masters of our destiny and not victims of our history
0: how much time, I know this is a dumb question, but how much time does a new practitioner need to put in to this actual act? Is this something that I need to carry on in my mind constantly, or do I set aside a specific time in the morning in the night or the afternoon to to kind of tap into this subliminal vibe?
1: As I said, And this is a really important part. It starts with the decision that it becomes your way of being. It's not, it can't be a once-off thing. And so when I say shamanism is a way of life, it's a way of being. And so the quantum field does not respond to what we want. The quantum field responds to who we are. The quantum field responds to who we are being, who we have become. It responds to how we feel every day. The feeling now is the secret. The feeling is the secret. And so what if you made a decision to, as much as possible, access nature's medicine so that I am continually in states of awe and wonder? What if I made the conscious decision to not gossip, to not buy into people's stories they tell themselves about themselves and believe? What if I protect my vibration like my life depends upon it because it does so that I'm not um, uh, accepting clients or new students who are not ready because I'm protecting my vibration? I want to be inspired. I want to work with people who are um, a pleasure to be with. I want to hang around inspiring people. And so to answer your question, what if it was a decision that you operate in this state all the time? why because the science says when we are of this vibratory frequency we start to magnetize magnetism is a universal law it is a law of the universe and this is what I mean by we start to um, uh, really tune into the physics of it all the understanding the science of it all and so um David Hawkins um uh, a very prominent scientist in, in this work. um he has a book called power versus force if your if your listeners want to start to get deeper into this work. And so he talks about stages of consciousness. Mm. Stages of consciousness. And so the stage of consciousness, for example, if I'm in the presence of someone who is gossiping, if someone who is in states of fear, victim dialogue, they love the significance of the feelings of guilt and shame, that is when our heart is contracted. Then is when we suffer and our torus field, the mag- our, our electromagnetic signature is so contracted, we are going to magnetize, fuck all, fuck all. And so what if we made the decision, I'm going to What do I need to do to feel the way I want to feel so that my vibration is higher? What semantics do I need to study? What somatics do I need to practice? What somatic work do I need to uh, manipulate and influence my energy so that I can become expansive in states of love and joy and gratitude and enlightenment and acceptance and willingness, which makes me more magnetic and then life becomes fun. So to answer your question, it is a decision to do life very differently. It is a constant cultivation of a practice. And also to understand that there's also this beautiful um, state of surrender. What do I mean by that? Because this mind, this human mind, cannot manifest as much as the quantum field can manifest. And so the idea goes out into the quantum field and we trust through direct experience I trust like I trust like I trust that the event managers and the ideas fairies in the quantum field have opportunities and stories and people I need to meet and and businesses I need to create and adventures I need to have, which is far more, far more exciting than this little human mind can possibly imagine.
0: See, and this is the, not the regret that I live with, but the frustration of, hearing this information many 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 years ago at least 15 years ago through esther hicks and abraham and all of that work that they did and why i I question myself as i'm listening to you why didn't i capture this at that moment 15 years ago 10 years ago and run with it
1: but i know because you because you weren't ready ken you weren't at the stage of development yet You weren't weren't developed yet. It's like um, uh, teaching my um, teenage children, my teenage daughter, the things that I know. There's no point in me pushing that. Mm. I I need to hold her in that space. She's a teenager. I can't force her to be a 40-year-old. She's not at the stage of development yet. And so that's what the developmental stage is. Mm. What stage of spiritual development are you at? You were still in conventional stage wanting to fit in like everyone else. You, were, you, you weren't, you hadn't developed yet. And now you are at the, at the development stage. Now you're ready for the work. You just need a teacher or a coach to accelerate yourself. Give yourself some grace. <laughs> Give yourself Thank some you. grace.
0: Thank you. I, I need to hear that because um, again, uh, again, 15 years ago, I really listened to the work of Esther Hicks and Abraham and All of those ideas, and it made a lot of sense to me, just like it's making sense to me now. But I am thinking about when I walk away from this uh, podcast episode today, it is a decision, a conscious decision right now that I'm going to make. But I'm worried, like a decision to go to the gym, the decision to meditate, all of these things that I do in my life, how am I going to get a stronghold on the habitual side of tapping into the things that you're talking about. That's my biggest concern.
1: Is that a pattern for you to be worried about your will?
0: Yes, it is.
1: And so that's the pattern we need to interrupt. Um, because you it sounds like, um, the pattern of, um, see so here, here's the thing. Everything is a cultivation of a practice. I have to hold myself accountable to myself. I also surround myself. It's another answer to the question, who do I need in my orbit to help me to get to where I want to go faster? Right? And so, for example, um, with me going to the gym, oftentimes I I get ensconced with work. And before I know it, oh, my God, we are working quantum time. It's nighttime. I've done nothing to move my body. I have a trainer to whip my ass. Um, I live near the ocean, so that i'm it's a walk away from the gym, a walk away from sunrise so to uh, to hold myself accountable as well as to hold uh, have others um, hold me to account as well and so we never underestimate the power of a decision. Who do I need in my orbit to help me to get to where I want to go faster in business and in life i 'm very much a global thinker. I understand what fuels me. I understand what drives me. And so I think macro. I need to surround myself with the micro, the ones who are so control freak, detail driven, who tell me what to do. Who do I need in my orbit to help me to get to where I want to go faster? You know, and so it's a case of um, if you're worried and if that is your, um, your your pattern, the first thing I always say is to give yourself some grace, Ken. You know, and if consistency, if um, persistency use your thing, give yourself some grace. What has my life already demonstrated? What has my life already demonstrated? Can you tap into all those times where you were persistent, where you were driven with purpose, such as this um, successful podcast of yours? And then when you tap in, oh, what about that time I did that? How, how, how did I succeed there? And you make the decision to apply the same formula. To how you succeeded in 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 that respect and so um i think also sometimes the pain isn't big enough yet (laughs) it doesn't hurt as much yet (laughs) when it hurts enough you're gonna do it
0: amazing i uh i am speechless because it resonates inside of me it, it truly does, this uh, information. Which
1: part, right? which part inside of you does it resonate in?
0: They're looking for the patterns of persistence. Like, what have I done consistently? I've meditated consistently for four years. I've gone to the yeah. gym consistently for a, a, a lot of years. Um, the podcast has been very consistent. Uh, yes. And And these are all natural, sort of naturally driven things. But this mindset of... What you're talking about of tapping into the subliminal, I've I've known about it for 15 years, and I I I I brush up with it like what we're doing right now all the time, but I've never really made a decision. I've never been I've never put my foot down and said, you know what, I am now going to decide to do things differently and tap into it.
1: Come into my world. <laughs> life gets very, very exciting. I have uh, students all around the world. And life gets fun. Why does it get fun? It's uh, the realization, fire out, I have the power. I have the power to yeah. um, influence my future in this way that is so much faster than the, the sense of pushing shit uphill that I've done for all these years. And, you know, I had a um, a Christmas gathering of some of my Sydney students the other day. And my God, there was some serious hotness in the room. Everyone is just vibrant and glowing, and because you can feel it and you can see it, very different people to when they first started with me. And when we really look back, it's just happened in quantum time. And so it's the work, it's the um, accountability. You know, we, we meet online every Monday or we meet to do retreats, we meet to do all these things. And when you're in the orbit and you have all these people together with their electromagnetic signatures, vibrating at this frequency, Far out, life gets fun.
0: Yeah,
1: we're not we're not alone.
0: Will you ever bring this knowledge and experience to Vietnam?
1: Um, I haven't thought about it yet, um, but I am um, planting seeds in the states. I have more and more students from the US. Um, I'm um, also um, a lot, I've launched a, a new retail product. It's Tiger Per Chai, I have a distributor now in the US. So um, leveraging is very much part of my personality. And so as an international speaker, I'm speaking more in the US. I now have a distributor for my chai in the US. I've got more students in the US and that's, that's when I met you hanging out with some people in, in LA. So it will be US before Vietnam.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much for opening up and opening my heart, my eyes, my mind today. It's been- great. We've
1: only scratched the surface, right?
0: <laughs> yes, we, 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 we did and we, we did scratch the surface, but we also went very deeply for me. Um, and I can imagine uh, you know, our listeners or our audience that are getting a taste of this for the first time. Uh, it's not woo, it's not woo woo, and it's not that abstract. Because yeah. all of this could be translated into Christianity, Buddhism, Muslims—the way these things are, you know—it's faith-based. The way that you're saying, but it's codified differently throughout the world and different times, and you know, you could.
1: Yeah. Color What them. if? What if the? What if the faith-based? What if the faith was on self?
0: It. But it is.
1: On self leadership and self mastery, right. that w- that we're not, um, you know, uh, codifying or, or um, uh, worshipping some someone other or something other than ourselves. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that either. But the power is in here. Right. This is but where the power is.
0: I think. Let's just say Jesus Christ, for, for 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 the sake of argument, he taught that, or if you in the Bible, it says that we are him; he is us. So it's not that far removed if you think about it on a theology level right like if we get really deep into this sort of this metaphysical way of thinking of jesus christ as being part you know and then there's like the the idea of the holy trinity which is god the father the holy spirit and if they are one and we are one then it's all the same right it's really one big energetic uh, universe that we're all really a part of ourselves. We're giving energy to ourselves, but it's just all a a, a a really not a messy bundle, but a very neat bundle if we can break it down the way you're, you're thinking about it.
1: Yeah. But, I mean, uh, if we look at the word God, G-O-D, if we are God and we have the God mind, God, G-O-D, is the grand organized design the grand organized design. And if we are part of the grand organized design and we abide by, understand, or have knowledge of the universal laws, the laws of the universe that happens time and time again, regardless of race, of creed, of sex, of background, these are universal laws. If we had an understanding of this, how would we do life very, very differently? That's when we can become free because the more perspectives we can hold, the more free we will become.
0: Pauline, thank you so much for today. I really cherish- you're most
1: welcome. <laughs> thank you so much for having me.
0: <laughs> thank you for listening to the Vietnamese with Kenneth Wynn. The Vietnamese is produced by Brittany Tran. Special thanks to Jane Wynn, Catherine Wynn, Tina Pham, Sydney, Jamie, and Christo Trin. Please find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at the Vietnamese Podcast. You can also find us on YouTube, where you can subscribe, like, and comment. Please rate and give us a review wherever you find our podcasts.